This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Sam. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Try to keep you on your toes. Well, you know, I uh, do what I can. Um, it's, uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas here. We've, it feels uh, like Christmas anyway. I know. It yeah. certainly does. I've got your, you've got your tree up. We do too now. So yeah, we do. I, first yeah. time in a while we've done it before Thanksgiving, but well, that's apocryphal, I guess, but, uh, you know, it's, and, uh, and I know the times a lot of people now actually do Thanksgiving trees. They do Thanksgiving decorations on their tree first and then transition over to the Christmas decorations. So. I had not heard that, but yeah, we yeah. are uh, um, staunchly Black Friday uh, Christmas decoration <laughs> decorating types uh, at our house, and so we've. Uh, I think the only time we broke that was last year. Um, we decided to do it a week early, but typically yeah. it's uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. Traditionally, yeah, well, is uh, is when we decorate. But when you got two year old, uh, they they're ready, anxious for Christmas yeah, to get on with it. So, yeah, she's been uh, her her wish has been for a Christmas tree <laughs> for the past <laughs> what she month, wishes for month or so. <laughs> oh yeah, no, she she gets it for sure. So, uh, so we're uh, doing another book review. So it's sort of a back to back. Yeah, um, we've just had uh, a couple of good books that we've read recently. Um, and this one is on reading well, and uh, I really enjoyed this. this. is a book that I read yeah, quite a while ago. Uh, I think we've shared before that we we have a book club that we uh, do, and uh, you and your wife, my daughter, and my two sons and I, and now my cousin, Rob, who's uh, president of the Canadian Seminary, uh, yeah. is is on the book club as well. And so we pick a book and and work through it, and then we order in lunch and here at least at the office and uh zoom in the others from canada and yeah and take about an hour and a half and discuss the book and all of you guys are have at least a master's degree and there's a lot of doctor's degrees in that room and so we're all kind of used to book reviews and reading and yeah you were in an MBA program, so you didn't have to read much. You just had to no. count, count a lot, but yeah, uh, just, you know, move the beans <laughs> from this pile to that pile. But uh, <laughs> so this is in fact we're having uh, later today. We're having lunch, and we're going to discuss this book. So yeah. kind of had it on my mind, and thought, you know, it's not a bad book for a couple of reasons, just to share in this podcast. Today. Well, and it's uh, it's good for me too because it's been so long. I think since I finished this book, <laughs> yeah. and. Uh, I know. I, uh, I think I wasn't going to have a chance to look over it. My uh, October <laughs> was travel was so yeah. brutal in the fall here that uh, we didn't really have time to schedule a lunch uh, book club meeting. So I know I wasn't I even know. home here for a, a lunch time uh, for about a month and a half. So yeah, well, the, you know, the title of this book uh, by Karen Swallow Pryor is on reading well, and one might ask, as a leader, what you know. Why read? Like, what's all that about? Don't you just go out there and lead? (laughs) Who has time to be reading books when there's organizations to lead? lead? I know, there's stuff to do here. Uh, Well, Karen uh, Swalt Pryor is um, an English uh, professor, I believe, and currently teaches at uh, Southeastern Baptist Seminary Mm -hmm. uh, out in North Carolina. Um, And um, she, uh, she does two things in this book, I think, that I particularly appreciate. One is she just uh, really highlights the value of reading, yeah, uh, and and gives some encouragement, uh, and and then models that by uh, each chapter she basically unpacks a a classic book, uh, and they're all uh, 
fiction books, which is kind of interesting too. Yeah. Uh, and and she models how to draw great uh, truths and insights from great literature. Um, and then secondly, she looks particularly at what she calls the virtues. Um, and and in the past, during the Roman era particularly, um, there was a, a great uh, movement among the, the educated to promote and practice the virtues, they would call them. And those were considered the noble character traits that were considered to be, if you were a noble a person, uh, or if you were a Christian, it was a, you were a godly person. These were identified as the, the character traits that would um, most should most um, exemplify you. And so what, what she says, it's kind of interesting, is, and, and of course, what these people believed for centuries was that you could cultivate these. You weren't just born with these. These yeah. were virtues that you could develop over time. And of course, even deists like Benjamin Franklin were famous for every year um, identifying at least a certain character trait that he wanted to do better. He, yeah. he, want, he was a self-improved man, uh, kind of a self-help sort of approach, but... Uh, but he had the, the the basic belief that you could better yourself, and yeah. Well, I can tell you as a as a father of a two year old, uh, you're certainly not born with uh, <laughs> your virtue. You believe in uh, the can, depravity it, of, of of mankind. <laughs> exactly, but yeah, even even at two, you can you can start to see virtues forming yeah. and and improving yeah. over time. And so, uh, no, she he mentions she mentions a couple of things. She there's three kinds of virtue that she's going to unpack. One she calls the cardinal virtues, and these are prudence, temperance, justice, and courage. And these four are considered to be kind of the the bedrock, the foundation upon which you build other ones. And so uh, prudence, you could, uh, we'll get into in a second. It's not a word that's used very much now, but you could really call it wisdom, just using, you know, making good decisions in real lifetime. Temperance, uh, kind of self-control, uh, and justice, of course, just doing the right thing, uh, and, and certainly in relationship to others, and then courage. And you kind of have to have courage if you're going to do some of those other things. Uh, without courage, you can believe in a lot of things, just not have the will to, to actually practice them. So, so those four are what she calls cardinal virtues. And then she has some other she calls theological virtues, which are kind of ones that would come straight out of the Bible. And the three that she highlights are faith, hope, and love, which, of course, are three of the big ones there yeah. that get mentioned over and over again. And then she lists what she calls the heavenly virtues of chastity, diligence, patience, kindness, and humility. I think she lists uh, temperance in there again, too, in both of the categories. But she says, basically, um, these these virtues, if you, in, in one sense, you ought to be always working to cultivate one of those. Um, and we've talked about some of these before. Uh, courage, certainly, I'm recognizing, especially in the culture in which we live today, to lead as a Christian, to lead with Christian values is going to require increasingly more courage. Yeah. Um, and, and an interesting um, thought is, can you increase your courage? 
you know, we would tend to say, well, some people just are braver than others. Some are more timid than others. Yeah. Is it possible to actually increase the level of courage that you practice, that you have? And, and how would you go about doing that? And I think this is also probably good because we're, uh, as we get to the end of the year, when this podcast is coming out, um, I always t- like to take some time to reflect uh, going into a new year to say, are there some areas of my character? Are there some areas of my leadership that I really would like to address very, very uh, specifically in a focused way? And not just yeah. hoping that at the end of the year, I'm a better person, but saying, no, I, I want to have a plan. I want to have a plan to, to lead more courageously, more prudently. Uh, I, maybe I want to have a plan to have more temperance, more self-control. Um, and so uh, this is what I'm going to do. And perhaps it, it involves reading some books that really highlight that area. Uh, maybe it means uh, holding myself accountable in some way. It could certainly mean setting some goals uh, for my behavior. But um, we'll talk more about this at the end of the year, but uh, we're almost there. And so I think this is a good book um, to just sit before you and say, what are some of those basic character traits that uh, you, you want to always be bettering, always making mm-hmm. better. And so, so that's kind of the, the twofold thing that I, I found some real value in with this book is, one, it just p- promotes reading and books. And secondly, um, it, it also uh, promotes virtue and, and developing yourself as a person. So, uh, and and they, he said several things that, she said several things I think that are interesting uh, and, and one kind of thing that she promotes, and of course, what, she models some of this, and so she quotes uh, people like uh, Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, and she's going to quote a lot of uh, ancient writers and so on, and, and she kind of demonstrates just the richness of wisdom that can be found. But, uh, but as she's talking about Milton... She says, because the world since the fall contains both good and evil, Milton says virtue consists of choosing good over evil. Uh, and of course, being virtuous doesn't mean that you live in a, a you cloister yourself away from evil. It, being virtuous means that you're right in the midst of an evil world, but you just make virtuous choices. Mm-hmm. And, and so he says, um, Milton distinguishes between the innocent who know no evil and the virtuous who know what evil is and elect to do good. So some people are just so protected or naive, they just don't even know that there is an evil option. Uh, and these people are innocent. They haven't done wrong, but they haven't necessarily had the opportunity either. Yeah. And then he says, but in one sense, the truly virtuous people are the ones who go every day into the fray of evil, and yet they just they choose to, to do the right thing and they choose not to do the wrong thing. And so she says, what better way to learn the difference between evil and good, Milton argues, than to gain knowledge of both through reading widely. Since therefore the knowledge and survey of vice is, uh, is in this world so necessary to the constituting of human virtue and the scanning of error to the confirmation of truth, how can we more safely and with less danger scout into the regions of sin and falsity than by reading all manner of tractates and hearing all manner of reason. And this is the benefit of which may be had of books. And then Milton says, promiscuously read. And I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, but, but basically what, what Milton is saying is, and, uh, and what she says, maybe I'll just 
quote uh, something that, that she said. Um, uh, she says, by, by reading widely, voraciously, and indiscriminately, I learned spiritual lessons I never learned in church or Sunday school, as well as emotional and intellectual lessons that I would never have encountered within the realm of my lived experience. Mm. And so what she says is, there's just not, you don't have long enough to live to experience everything that this world has to offer. Even just to, even to come up against uh, certain situations, you're probably never going to encounter them. You, you may encounter a lot, but there's just so many varied experiences you can have in life that you, you just, you're probably not going to experience all those. So if you live your whole life in one country, you're not going to have a bunch of experiences that come from living abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, if you live abroad, you're going to miss experiences you would have had if you'd stayed nearby where you grew up. Um, if you have a life of difficulty, you might not experience things that come with a life of ease. And so what, what she says is by reading, you expose your life to all kinds of issues, temptations, pressures, difficult decisions that you would never have faced just in the normal course of your life. And, um, and, and so, and it's interesting because a lot of times we just assume that we would always make the right choice. We would always just make the virtuous choice. But then literature provides us with some really sticky, difficult dilemmas mm-hmm. where people get into. And all of a sudden, as we're reading it, we're thinking to ourselves, wow, I'm not even sure what the right thing is to do. Like, how do, how do you end up doing the just thing there when no matter what you do, someone's going to get hurt? Yeah. Uh, or, uh, you know, if you're, how do you do the right thing where if you do one thing, uh, you're not going to be happy, but someone else will be. And if you do another thing, you'll be happy and they won't. And, um, and so that's the great thing about literature. It, it poses all kinds of circumstances that cause you to have to think in ways that the normal course of your life, you never would. Um, well, and it, uh, you know, especially with literature, I think it's, it's easy, especially, if, you know, for leaders and, and, and people in positions of authority, or, or if you've got, uh, you know, people, uh, that are depending on you. You, you, when you think about reading, I, th- I feel like it's typically some sort of a how-to book or some some type of a, more of an analytical, hey, here are the, you know, the top traits in leadership that, you know, you need to be concerned about, and, you know, here's a way to get more out of your people or, you know, to be more empathetic or whatever. And we so uh, often don't think that Actually, to, you could be a better leader by reading more literature and, yeah. and reading more fiction. Yeah. And, and that's something that, that I think is, is uh, often lost. Yeah, you know, I, and they've, I've, I've seen a number of surveys of pastors where they were asked to read maybe their top three influential books in their life. And interestingly, uh, I, I, on several of those surveys I saw, one of the books that came in the top three was The Brothers Karazimov. Uh, by Dostoevsky, yeah. and that is a tome. That is a tough read. It took me about three attempts to finally read through all the pages of it um, and mark it up. Uh, and it's just, just, it's just tough slugging some of those Russian novelists. Yeah. And of course, some of the other ones by him as well, Crime and Punishment, I've, I've purchased. I want to read uh, Anna Karenina. Karenina. <laughs> <laughs> is, in, some way, in some studies has lately been considered maybe the greatest novel, and so I've got that. I haven't read it yet. 
uh, because I tend to read biography, more nonfiction biographies or leadership books and so on. But, but, uh, I, I really do. I, I, I have a whole bookshelf of basically classic books that I want to get to. I've, I, you know, I've never just, I've started into tale of two cities and got kind of waylaid with a bunch of other reading I had to do, but especially yeah. during the holidays, I like to kind of kickstart some of that. And, and it's it, it in one sense uh, reading great literature uh, is uh, it, it can be relaxing because you're kind of swept up into another world by some of the great masters of writing. Yeah. But uh, on the other hand, those writers also grapple with some of life's greatest issues that generation after generation, century after century, still uh, challenges people to say, well, what's the right thing to do? And so, um, you know, I, I, I always like to have some of those books kind of on deck. I always have one on my desk. Uh, I've got Tale of Two Cities on my desk right now that I kind of plan to read through Christmas. I, I, I'll probably start over again and just start at the beginning. Yeah. I, I was marking it up, reading, and then I, when I have a lot of books to write, I, I slow down with my reading. But, uh, but, but I just think that if you're a preacher... Uh, certainly having read the classics will give you all kinds of great illustrations. Yeah. Uh, if you're a writer, a blogger, uh, there's just so such a wealth there of, of that you can use in a practical way, besides just, just being familiar with it, uh, the, the issues. But one thing that I thought was interesting just about reading, she says, reading virtuously means first reading closely, being faithful to both text and context interpreting accurately and insightfully. And then she adds, uh, the skills of interpretation and evaluation require prudence. The skills required to read well are no great mystery. Reading well is, well, simple, if not easy. It just takes time and attention. For those who find reading difficult, uh, she says this, she says, practice makes perfect, but pleasure makes practice more likely. So read something enjoyable. If a book is so agonizing that you avoid reading it, Put it down and pick up one that brings you pleasure. Life is too short and books are too plentiful not to. Uh, and so uh, she and she also says, read a book that challenges you. Don't just keep reading ones that are just, you know, just T-ball kind of hits where it just sets, yeah. sets everything up for you. Uh, you know, take some 90 mile plus an hour fastball uh, books that are going to keep you on your toes and make you think, but, uh, but they're going to exercise your mind. And uh, she says, interestingly, she says that the slowest readers are often the best ones. And she also encourages people to read with a pen and pencil and highlighters in hand. Um, and, uh, and she describes a good book like a good friend. Uh, they, they, they tend to do the same kind of things. They enrich your life. They, mm -hmm. they bring new perspectives into your life. Um, and so I, uh, I, I was, that was kind of interesting to me because I, a lot of those excuses, I know Sam, you've kind of found like with, uh, audio books that that's a great way for you to yeah. be exposed to that when you're driving and stuff. Like some people just, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're quick readers. They can devour books really quickly. Uh, other people just, it's just like running. I think it just don't have the same speed, but and so then you see a thousand page Russian novel and you think there's just, <laughs> I don't have yeah. a long enough well, life to read that. Yeah, but. certainly not the place you would, uh, you would want to start your literature career <laughs> is with, uh, any of the Russian, uh, 
uh, tomes like that. Yeah. But, but I'll tell you what, you know you've arrived. If you can knock off a war and peace or something like that, uh, you, you realize, wow, yeah. I've, uh, that's a sense of accomplishment. But Oh, certainly. I mean, they should you know hand out plaques when, <laughs> when that was finished. Well, let's maybe take a quick break here, and uh, we'll, we'll pick up in just a few minutes. Hello, I'm Richard Blackaby, and I'm president of Blackaby Ministries International. On behalf of my parents and the whole Blackaby team, I want to just thank you for your friendship, your support, your prayers for our ministry. These have been challenging times, and uh, there's been all kinds of difficulties and uh, challenges and hurdles to overcome that um, churches and individuals and ministries have never had to face before. But I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians, where he said, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that's certainly my heart as well to thank you for your partnership with us. And I wanted just to let you know, especially as we come to the end of this year, that uh, a wonderful uh, friend of our ministry just believes so much in what God is doing that he has offered a $100,000 uh, matching gift uh, to our ministry, which means that anyone who gives uh, a donation to our ministry from this point onward through the end of the year, he'll match it up to $100,000. So if you were thinking of giving us $100,000, this is the time to do it because it will be completely doubled by this wonderful donor. But seriously, we just want to encourage you that if the Lord has placed us on your heart, this is a great time to do that because it will release the matching amount of money. And uh, we just have a conviction here at Blackaby Ministries that uh, God is doing some amazing things right now. Everywhere I go and speak, there just seems to be a hunger and a great response. And so we are looking forward uh, to the year ahead and what God will do. And if you can help uh, in matching this very special gift, it will enable us to be fully prepared to respond to everything God will ask us to do. So thank you for all that you've done. And we look forward to serving with you, partnering with you in the year ahead. Well, I really love that quote, Richard, that you said um, from uh, Karen, um, the, the one about reading not being hard, that it's just all it takes is time and attention. And of course, you know, the thing that, that came to my mind was that nobody takes time or gives attention yeah. to much anymore these days. And, yeah. you know, we've talked about it before, but a lot of that's just, you're on your phone. Everything now is, is geared to you not having time or attention. Yeah. And so what a great uh, reminder and challenge to us to actually take time and attention and, and focus on, on reading. Yeah. And so maybe just in the last uh, few minutes that we have here, uh, what were some other insights that, that you got out of uh, Well, I, I might just mention too, uh, Sam, and I've said this before as well, but I, I encourage people to read with a pen in hand. And, and what I tend to do is I underline statements that really speak to me, or yeah. I'll put an asterisk beside it if I, or even a cue beside it if I think it's a great quote that I might want to use somewhere. And just the act of doing that for me keeps me focused. Uh, yeah. If I'm just kind of just reading page by page, um, I, I, it doesn't. I, it's easy to get distracted if you're if yeah. you if you're reading every line to see is that something I could 
reference in a tweet somewhere, or I could use in a sermon or in a book, or um, then all of a sudden you're you're paying a lot more attention. And so I just read more carefully if I've got a pen in my hand. Now it kind of devalues the book if you're thinking about reselling it later. But uh, but who would ever do that? Yeah, you know, like but the, uh, like why would you give it if you've mastered a thousand page Russian novel? I'm I'm keeping that on a shelf go so proudly people on know a shelf. That, yeah, exactly. what I've read. But, uh, yeah, so. That, that has certainly helped me, but a couple things just to mention, uh, for instance, temperance is an interesting one, especially coming out of Thanksgiving and going into Christmas, uh, mm-hmm. temperance Temper- maybe is not a bad one. Uh, it's not necessarily a popular one, but, uh, but it says, uh, one can attain the virtue of temperance when one's appetites have been sh- shaped such that one's desires are in proper order and proportion. And she makes an interesting point that that the United that the United States has 3.1 percent of all the world's children, but 40 percent of all of the world's toys. Man, I believe that. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, just uh, so we we spoil ourselves. We're affluent, um, and you know I don't think it's wrong necessarily to have toys, but uh, but what Temperance says is, but what's reasonable? You know, yeah. what, at what limit? And, uh, you know, I, we have to have these talks sometimes with my wife because she loves to give gifts. And even if they're not necessary, if, even if they're in extra overabundance, it's like, I know that this warms your heart to give gifts, but like, it's not necessarily helpful. And we don't really need to spend that much money. You know, we've given gifts. Like, yeah. let's just, I always have to say, just draw the line. Like, that's enough. Uh, yeah. But, you know, then when it comes to eating, she has to say that to me and say, <laughs> uh, I know that tastes good and every yeah. bite just is delightful. But at a certain point, you got to draw the line and say, that's enough. Like, you don't, you don't need any more. At this point, it's just gluttony. Uh, and I've often thought, uh, as a preacher myself, that I've seen some very rotund preachers that and that delight in preaching about other sins, <laughs> uh, and it's obvious from their girth that they have their own sin that uh, they struggle with, um, and that's temperance. It's just saying when when have I eaten enough? When have I drunk yeah. enough? And so um, I think you know there's something I think very spiritual about being in control of your body of your habits. Uh, and part of what it just says is uh, that rather than you being, that we sometimes think of temperance as, well, it just means I can't do certain things. Uh, yeah. I, I, it means I have to, I, you know, I can't eat all the pie or all drink all the sweet iced tea I want to drink. Um, but he, he says, or she says, temperance is actually liberating because it allows us to be masters of our pleasures instead of becoming its slaves. And mm. And I think that there certainly are some folks that are slaves to their pleasures, uh, slaves to their eating, slaves to their appetites, and they just can't, they, they just uh, can't even hardly resist it. It's, uh, it's just, a, they know they're going to capitulate. And, uh, and so temperance says, no, I'm in control. I can stop at a certain point. I can, I can make healthy choices. And, uh, and so, of course, every New Year's, I think uh, there's a lot of, of uh, resolutions related in some ways to temperance because <laughs> yeah. um, we're uh, because we're always you know struggling in that area, and and she talks about a few others like uh, courage and it, it's it's also interesting just where she gets some of this from, like she 
she takes this from the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. And it's, it's quite interesting just to see how she unpacks some of these classic yeah. books and sees that like with Huckleberry Finn, that he, you know, he's, he's not educated and um, in, in many ways he's, he's quite simple. And yet she sees in him great courage. Uh, by the way, it's interesting, the temperance one, she, she gets from the great Gatsby uh, that's just opulent and extravagant. Yeah. And yet, but at the same time, she sees a lack of temperance as a sign of a troubled soul as well. And uh, trying to satisfy with physical things what, what's missing maybe in our soul. And so that's interesting. And faith, she talks about, just says, a faith that never feels challenged is most likely dead. That's a, Mm -hmm. that was an interesting quote. Uh, If you never feel it challenged where you've got to study and pray and think and and go to the Bible and uh, carefully think through it, because faith, it's fine if you are just live at church all week long. But as soon as you go to work, as soon as you go out into the world, yeah. your faith's going to be challenged by a circumstance or a person, a critic. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, she says. And so uh, even when you read books that I think challenge your fundamental beliefs, even you know, read a book by an atheist. that, And, and we've done that in our book club where we've read a book by uh, a very devout atheist and they fired their best shots at our faith. And we we kind of felt as a book club we need to know what what are the most devastating critiques that atheists have toward our beliefs and and as we looked at them not trying to be just dismissive but say what are they saying and then is this valid is it are they even accurately representing the faith a lot of times yeah. they they pull up a straw man most times i would say you know they look at the middle ages or something and try to say well look christians are all like this and to say, uh, or they just misrepresent what the Bible teaches. And so to, to weed all that out and say, is there, a, is there a vulnerable part, maybe a place where we just have to believe and not necessarily have all the answers? And so that was interesting. And I think it just kind of encourages um, us as well just to say, well, you know, read some things that you don't agree with. Like, read some things that make you mad. I That yeah. atheist book, there was a few times where I just had to put it down for a second and say, well, this guy, he just, that, he's just not, he says he's being scientific and then he misrepresents the facts. He doesn't, like, he should, if he's really a devout atheist, he shouldn't be afraid to just take Christianity on by what it As actually it says, yeah. you know, what the Bible says, um, and not um, not just try to misrepresent it because then it's easier to discredit. Um, and so he, he she talks about... Uh, a lot of different uh, things. She talks about love and so on, and uh, and there's there's some very uh, very thought provoking kind of books that she and, and and pictures she pulls out of literature of people that uh, you know, the, for instance, love where they weren't loving toward others, and then they ultimately they created a world that doesn't have love in it, and then they experience they, they reap what they've sown. Yeah, and it's actually a, a horrific life to live in an unloving life. But uh, and and so of course you don't want to try that out in real life. It's better to read about a, a classic portrayal of someone who lived a loveless life and then see what it looks like. And uh, yeah. uh, and so yeah, lots of lots of great uh, statements in here that just make you think. There's a lot of places that you kind of underline 
um, like a chastity. C.S. Lewis said it's the it's the uh, most unpopular of all the Christian values. Uh, <laughs> Augustine, when he was young, said, "Give me chastity and continence, but not yet." <laughs> uh, and uh, and there's some interesting things, uh, even like Pilgrim's Progress. There's a as, as they use that uh, for sloth uh, and. Uh, he's, she says, uh, an excess of effort is also a vice, which is kind of interesting. You wouldn't think of that as working too hard or trying too hard. Um, but uh, there's a just a lot of a lot of interesting st- statements. It talks about patience, um, and sometimes you know, for instance, you can deal with an issue of patience, like when you put up with someone. Uh, and you're patient. Can can that be a vice? Can, is it is there a certain point where you, you you don't need to be patient anymore? You need to be impatient with the way someone's be treating you. Yeah. Uh, if you just constantly just take abuse or you you take uh, wrongdoing, uh, is there a point where patience isn't the right thing to practice? Uh, yeah. And when when is it? And so, well, and that idea that the you know virtue is sort of in that what is it the golden mean or or whatever. Um, where it's it's the the virtuous thing is 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 not the extremes of, of either side it's 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 finding that um the sort of that middle path yeah. that that you're not you're not overly patient and you're not overly impatient yeah and that's what that this word prudence really means it's it's properly determining what is the you know what extent should i have of of patience and so on, yeah. and in what circumstance, and is there are there times when I shouldn't be patient? Uh, should should I have a short fuse on on certain things, and should I have a long standing, long suffering patient sort of attitude toward others? And yeah. so, you know, if you're dealing with a two year old, you probably need a lot of patience. Uh, you do, but uh, I'll if, tell you that for sure. <laughs> but you know, sometimes when you're dealing with uh, a colleague who continually fails to do what they said, you know, do, how, how much patience do you show? And so yeah. there, there's a lot of issues, of course, tied up into all of this that I think are, that are, that literature brings to the forefront. And yeah. There are times where maybe a, a heroine in a, in a, a novel just keeps putting up with all kinds of grief and you know abuse and and you're getting all upset even as you read it saying yeah. don't take that anymore like you know fight back for yourself stand up for yourself and and you realize even as you read it that there's just something not right about this i mm-hmm. mean this person's noble in one sense because they just keep on having a sweet spirit even when they're being treated so terribly um and then other times you think but could it be that maybe they lack courage if they had more courage um would they stand up for themselves and and so of course that's why all these virtues have to also fit together uh, right courage and and patience and love and so on uh you, there's there's a certain amount of each of those that you need to demonstrate in every encounter you have with someone and if you get any of those out of proportion then all of a sudden, maybe you're being too patient, or maybe you're being too courageous. Uh, sometimes, you know, courageous. There's just a fine line between that and foolishness, uh, yeah. where you were just foolhardy. So, anyway, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great way to read through. Uh, and and I certainly would encourage our listeners uh, pick up at least one classic uh, book, maybe over Christmas, that will just put you up against some of the greatest writing, some of the greatest thinking. Uh, in history, 
and just get your life up next to that. I yeah. love. I'll tell you. I, I last night I was kind of perusing perusing my library, trying to decide which uh, books I wanted to read next. And I, I've got a number I, I haven't read yet that I fully intend to. And uh, especially as my travel really picks up and I'm on airplanes, that's always a, a good it's time a great, for me yeah. just to choose which book will I will accompany me on this next trip. And uh, <laughs> as I sit there at, at waiting for a flight to go or on the airplane and uh, don't don't squander opportunities, uh, yeah. maybe during the holidays, if you're home a little more. I found just even the last hour or so before I go to bed, instead of re- watching the news and it making you mad, uh, why don't you pull out a classic book every evening before bed? I think you and Carrie do that often. Yeah. used to. And, no, we and, still do, and it's a, it's a great way to end your day, if for you, sure. If you fill your mind with great thoughts, great issues, uh, your mind still might be racing a bit when you go to sleep, but at least it's dealing with issues that matter that... that have challenged humanity for generations yeah and if you uh if you struggle to know what classic uh literature to pick up i would suggest starting with on reading well because she goes through a great list of 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 classic novels that and and she you know because i I've, i've read i've read several of the ones that she sort of unpacks and even um her unpacking them you just she pulls out so much of these novels that you you know mm-hmm. I, I just completely missed or yeah. just was not aware of and so and that's what a good english teacher needs to do exactly it, it, it reminded me of, of of being in english class and just r- realizing the value of yeah. of having so a don't good just teacher. read a book and just see it just see it simply as a story it could be a good story entertaining yeah. story but don't miss the the deeper threads and issues that great writers yeah. always weave into it there, there's always various levels uh, that you can read a book at, and so that she, she'll help you understand how to to read at a deeper level. Where you, there's a lot of gold in these books, but you got to get below the surface to find yeah. them. Yeah. Well, as always, we'll leave a, a link to this in in our show notes. And uh, until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.